Today's episode is a continuation of an episode that we released on September 5th. Go back and check out part one if you haven't already, but if you haven't listened to it, feel free to listen to this one first. The order doesn't really matter. Thanks for listening. Well, you came through with a real heavyweight. And so, <laughs> no, but I've got a heavyweight for you too. Oh, I'm ready. I know we, we do this a lot with our, our album of the month, you know, trying to like find some connection, but it's kind of creepy, man, how we are like mm. on the same wavelength with this stuff. Cause I think you're going to be really fascinated um, by my producer for this, for this chat. Ooh, I can't wait to hear. She's also pretty incredible. All right, so the producer I want to talk about today, her name is Lottie Golden. So Lottie Golden, American singer-songwriter, record producer, poet, uh, born in 1949, about a decade before Kate Bush. She's best known for her debut album from 1969 called Motorcycle, released on Atlantic Records, and we'll get into that a bit later. But just a brief background on Lottie. She was born in Manhattan, grew up in Brooklyn. Her parents were super hip jazz music and foreign film aficionados. And Lottie, she got the bug for music and the arts very early on in life. Her parents gifted her a guitar at the age of 11 and she studied classical guitar and voice. And she became a singer songwriter incorporating her natural gift for writing. By 14 years old, Lottie Golden was in Manhattan singing on demo sessions and shopping around her own demos to publishers. She was attending acting school, honing her you know, acting chops and her writing skills. And as a high school senior, she worked part-time as a staff writer for Bob Crew's Saturday Music Imprint. So while she had this writing gig, this is where she landed her first big cover. And it was by Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. Patti LaBelle performed Golden Song, Dance to the Rhythm of Love. And we'll play a little sample of that. So Lottie's big break arrived when, supposedly, as the story goes, she was on the elevator heading to a demo session and the company president, Bob Crew, got on the elevator while Lottie was singing. And he kind of just like casually nodded his approval of her voice. But Sister Girl jumped on that opportunity, introduced herself, said she was a writer at the company and explained that she was working on her material for her own album. Like how how bold <laughs> and brave yeah. is that, right? And so after that, Crew signed her and started shopping her songs, which landed her a recording contract with Atlantic Records. So that's quite a lot of ground to cover already I mean, in high school. Yeah, I, but already I can see what you're mentioning, the commonalities between mm. Kate and Lottie, their 14 years old phase mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. really doing a million things at once and really diving into their art. Absolutely. Oh, it's going to get creepier. Let's, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> because, so one theme from this Lottie Golden story is that she's, she's an overachiever. Right. So even while she was doing all of this stuff, like just as an extracurricular activity, she was the poet laureate of her high school. She was voted most likely to wow. succeed. She graduated with honors and like an assortment of art and academic 
rewards in tow. And then like on top of that all, she was a signed writer and recording artist in freaking high school. It's crazy. So in the late 60s, you know, we had this emergence of women singer-songwriters hitting the scene, breaking the status quo with these really personal, vulnerable songs of self-reflection and life and growth, right? And Lottie made a really major contribution to this wave with her debut album, Motorcycle. Let's hear a sample of the Space Queens from that album. So get this, she released this album at 19 years old, much like Kate Bush released her first <laughs> single at 19. I know, right? Crazy. So Motorcycle, it was all about her life coming up in New York City's colorful counterculture. She explored lots of, lots of themes, including gender identity, drug use, sex, and urban alienation. And the songs are all pretty epic. Uh, I think all but like two run well over five minutes. And in these songs, she assumes these sort of archetypal characters to tell these, these colorful stories, right? And it really could be considered the first rock concept album from a woman recording artist. Wow. Yeah. I see that it says she wrote her memoir in music and lyrics because a book is too flat. Yeah, I love that quote from her. That's great. And it's so true. Yeah, so my favorite description of the album comes from a critic at Tiny Mix Tapes who says, quote, to make a crude comparison, it's as if the Velvet Underground recorded for Motown. In short, debauchery with a beat. Dig it. Cool. Yeah. For me, I like to call it, the name I came up with was Pop Chop because her soulful rock and roll style kind of reminds me of Janis Joplin, like it's gritty and raw like Janis Joplin, but like mm. less Woodstocky vibes and more of that popular American bandstand polish, you know? But yeah, Lottie takes you on a real trip. Uh, she's got a song on the album called A Lot Like Lucifer, and it takes you through so many different genres. You're doing Memphis, Blue-Eyed Soul, all the way to, to ragtime. It does a lot. Let's hear a clip of that. He's a lot like Lucifer. So the album was well-received. She was praised for her urban, poetic, descriptive writing style that was just, you know, very rich in metaphor, very original. Atlantic record moguls were really excited about her. Like some, they predicted she'd be the next huge pop artist, like on the level of Aretha Franklin. And those are some wow. pretty major shoes to fill, right? Yeah. But for reasons unknown, Atlantic Records didn't really follow through on the album's promotion. None of the songs were edited for radio. No single was released, which is crazy. Basically, she had no real like management strategy and the label was undergoing some like corporate restructuring and they were already overloaded with a, a crowded roster of artists that year, you know, being promoted. And she just kind of got lost in the shuffle, oh, which no. is weird. Yeah. But nonetheless, the New York Times called Motorcycle one of the most influential albums of the era, which is quite impressive considering I don't think it ever made it to CD. I, I could be wrong about that at this point, but I don't, I don't, the album was never on CD. But it has found new life thanks to the good old interwebs and <laughs> continues to gain popularity, you know, along with it being used for samples and popping up in TV shows and such. 
She also released a sophomore album in the early 70s on GRT Records. And again, it was the same thing. It could have done great with some real promotion, but shortly after the album's release, GRT ran out of cash and had to close up shop. Oh no. I know. So it was just like a string of crappy luck for Lottie Golden, right? Yeah. But Lottie Golden, the overachiever, she was not deterred. So through the 70s, she kind of pivoted and focused on rock journalism because she's this amazing writer, right? And she contributed to publications including Crawdaddy, Rolling Stone, Cream, Circus, and so on. And then in 1982, she scored an international dance hit called I Specialize in Love. Okay, finally, one I actually recognize. <laughs> More is coming. I was like, how have I not heard of this person? Now I know, I know one of them. So she co-wrote this tune with Richard Schur, and this opened the door for her into record production. This enabled her to take full artistic control of her work. And how's this for an interesting twist? So she's got this partnership with Richard Schur. She became a major pioneer in electro and early hip hop. Lottie Golden and Richard Schur were the founding members of Warp 9, the groundbreaking sci-fi electro-funk hip-hop group. And we've talked about Warp 9 before on the show. We have. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. And I was like, okay, that's what I know the name from. I just, I had no clue that she had this like amazing backstory from that. But yeah, Warp 9 had some major influential hits in the 80s, like this familiar tune that you may recognize called Nunk. I love that classic Roland TR-808 sound, right? Classic. The title Nunk was named as a fusion of, of funk and new wave. And this song, along with Africa Mbamba's Planet Rock and Shock's electrophonic funk, ushered in a whole new genre of electro hip hop music, which is pretty spectacular. Here's another great Warp 9 tune. This was their third single called Beat Wave. So Warp 9 was supposed to be a one-off, but Nunk just blew up so hard, they decided to keep it going and brought on three performers, Bo Brown, Ada Dyer, and Chuck Wansley, so that they could tour and such and make some money. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Warp 9's success helped Lottie land a global publishing deal with Island Music, and then Girlfriend just got super busy after that. She started collaborating with producer Arthur Baker, and she worked with just this insanely long list of major artists, Diana Ross, Patty Austin, Jennifer Holliday, Brenda K. Starr, Jimmy Cliff, and on and on and on. Then in the mid to late 80s, she moved to LA and signed another global publishing deal with MCA Music. And here she teamed up with writer-producer Tommy Farragher, and they started cranking out hits. And they fell in love. So <laughs> they got married and started their own production company. So after about a decade, that partnership and that marriage um, ended, but they had this major breakthrough when they found out that Clive Davis needed a single for Taylor Dane's sophomore album. So Lottie, Tommy, along with, you know, her previous 
collaborator, Arthur Baker, they created a demo of With Every Beat of My Heart in one session. Yeah, like the, the, the Taylor Dane song, everybody knows, yes. That was Lottie Golden Man, and that single went three times platinum. Wow. Lottie and Tommy also worked with the OJs, and that led to the OJs winning their first American Music Award. Uh, they produced the British girl group Eternal, who became the first female group to reach one million album sales in the UK and went four what? times platinum in 1993. She's, I mean, the list goes on. She's written and produced top five hits in the US and overseas. Um, her songs have been recorded by Al Green, Celine Dion, B.B. King. Uh, she's featured in David Toop's book, Rap Attack 3, African Rap to Global Hip Hop, as well as Sue Stewart's book, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, True Life Stories of Women in Pop for her pioneering work as a female record producer. But basically, uh, just to wrap this up, like Lottie has amassed a huge collection of awards and honors, including an ASCAP Pop Award for songwriting, uh, she's just she's just amazing. Just has a ton of talent, and she she really like leaned into all of it. She did she did writing. She was a journalist. She's a poet. You know she did. She's a recording artist. She was a record producer. She just really did all of the things. She has just an amazing uh, depth and breadth of artistic gifts to draw from. And I think it's cool how she touched so many different industries and styles within the musical sphere. She's a legit pioneer who fueled the proliferation of modern rap and hip hop. And if you listen to her motorcycle album, which I highly recommend, it's it's just even more amazing how she made that leap <laughs> from that album to electro-funk hip hop, you know? So yeah, that's Lottie Golden. That's so cool. And it's like, you know, at first you started out talking about her. I was like, I have no idea who this is. And then as soon as the whole like, the dance hit happened and then the whole electro hip hop thing happens like, okay, knew that one, know that one, know that one, know that one. Again, she's not a household name though, just like Sylvia Massey. I mean, although I feel like Sylvia Massey is really widely known, probably more so than Lottie Golden. Would you agree? Maybe. Yeah, I'd say so. That's fair. That's fair. But still, it's like, I've never heard her name before, but I've heard so much of the music that she had a part in. Exactly. You've, you've heard what she's done, the Taylor Dane songs. And then there were other really, really huge uh, UK girl groups that she also broke onto the scene on top of Eternal as well. Yeah, just, just really impactful in multiple genres. Yeah, that's really cool. Another, it seems like she worked with Nina Hagen as well mm -hmm. at some point in her career. Nina Hagen is one who I feel like kind of was around the same time as Kate Bush, but not not the same. So in my mind, I was like, that's interesting that that Lottie worked with Nina Hagen and like Nina Hagen is like one one of the unique music women that I thought was uh, a big influence to other women artists, similar to Kate Bush, but still in in her own galaxy, I guess. Yeah, she was she was in that sphere, like that that wave. Yeah. Um, but the record machine failed us and didn't didn't get the music out to the people. Um, the but still machine. I know, right? But her the influence wasn't lost, you know, and it has a, a huge cult true. following. Yeah. It's true. Man, 
Also, Arthur Baker with all of that freestyle music, it's cool that she was working with him and doing mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Yeah, she had some really, really productive partnerships all the way throughout her career. I mean, she worked with the Jets. Mm-hmm. I had that tape when I was a kid. <laughs> it was like one of my first cassette tapes. I loved the Jets. That's cool. I also had Taylor Dane on tape in third grade. So this woman has influenced my my music as well, and I didn't even know her name. See, and that's why we're doing this. Exactly. We should, know. we should know who these women are. But she's, you know, she's she's still going strong, still making her mark. Uh, she's done a lot of work towards the advancement of literacy. And so she works really hard to like engage New York City public school children in, you know, art and crafts and songwriting, especially. She's got a program called Lyrics, Literacy, Words or Power um, that takes place has been implemented in East Harlem. So that's really cool. She's giving back to the community and inspiring the next generation of amazing writers. Yeah, that is really cool. I mean, despite not having huge success with her music right out of right out of the gate, she did stay in that music world and was writing and and it's good. It's good that she didn't fully give up on that dream of working in music. It's the power of the pivot, man. Like if, if one door closes, you got to know how to like adapt and, and yeah. make the next way. Good for her. Because I was yeah. really out of her control because the material was there. It was strong enough. People were excited about it. Like they're comparing her to like, you know, popularity on the level of Aretha Franklin. <laughs> like yeah. how, that sucks. And electro and hip hop together. And then it's like, that was the beginning of, of hip hop. And when you think of, how electro, freestyle, hip hop, all of that in the early 80s, and then funk too, like all of that. They were sampling the funk and the electro in the early hip hop. I mean, they still are. It's still going to this day, sampling that stuff. Just how much that chunk of time <laughs> has completely influenced the entire genre of hip hop. Like it's still going, this sound. I mean, there's a, like the writing has changed and the sounds have changed somewhat. They've gotten grittier and bassier and there's less storytelling now in hip hop than there was back in the day. But like there's still the samples. But these the, are the roots, yeah. Right, exactly. The roots are strong and you can still hear the influences to this day. I take it back, it doesn't suck. It happened because it was just supposed to happen. It's just how life is. Because right. maybe, if, maybe if those albums, you know, had blown up, who knows what how the path would have you know played itself out? We pro- we maybe would not have had warp. Like right. who knows? She's just really smart for shifting and finding new ways to to express herself creatively. No, you're right. It's like her legacy is actually now more important and had a greater impact on music than maybe she would have had as just a solo artist. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, especially thinking about just like women in production and how, especially at that time there wasn't that many and she, she did it. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your opinion. I, I, I hope you take a listen um, a little bit to motorcycle and, and I want to know what you think about just the overall vibe and the, the composition. It's, it feels almost theatrical. Like I feel like I'm watching, Ooh. it could be like a stage production. It, it does so much. Like Kate Bush. Yeah. Very much like Kate Bush. I can't, I'm going to, yeah, I need to listen to it. I've never heard this album before. Thanks for putting us on to Lottie Golden. 
For sure, for sure. Man, I seriously have been learning so much from these little chats we've been having about producers. I can't wait to see who we come up with next. And how they're going to be connected in some creepy way. Some Gotta creepy Gotta keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been talking about this for quite a while. Yeah, I can't wait to see what we come up with next. And if anyone in the store is listening and is curious or needs to catch up on some previous convos that we we have had and music that we've shared, feel free to check out our website at recordstoresociety.com. There is an episodes list and you can also tap to see lists like the top fives when we played the high fidelity game. You can see the playlists that have come out of each um, conversation. And yeah, any links that we've mentioned when we talk about these things in the store are also listed there. So visit our website. That's a great idea, Tara. Also, if you want to chat with us, come check out our Discord and send us some messages. Give us some new albums to check out as well. We love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, sweet. All right, I'm going to go home, eat some dinner. Same here. Let's do it. Thanks for hanging out with us in the store. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.